the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And we have a lot to cover. In a few moments, we will speak with our friend Melanie Kirkpatrick, who wrote a book on Thanksgiving. And we'll get in the mood for Thanksgiving in a few moments. And John Lott has another book out. Actually, I take it back. It's an essay, a lengthy essay, uh, academic work on uh, guns and the importance of it. We've got some news on that out of Missouri, which I think I'll cover tomorrow. We'll see about that. And of course, uh, there is a lot happening uh, in the swamp. Uh, Earlier tonight, uh, the president of the United States addressed the National Republican Congressional Committee in Tampa. They're having a fundraiser. He was the keynote speaker, roundtable, and a speech. Uh, as of the, the um, uh, right before the event, it was not broadcast live. I don't know why. We haven't got an answer, uh, but his remarks will be out. It's an, uh, it might be the most important thing to happen is whether President Trump can articulate and get support for, whether he will get support for his agenda as he helps elect what will be looks like a Republican House. So uh, we'll talk. We'll uh, get an update on that later on. All right. First, though, let me talk about the dynamics of the swamp. And this is the key thing. We talked about this on late last week. There was a vote. Nancy Pelosi did finally push through uh, the House a, quote, bipartisan infrastructure bill, end quote. Now, it's about a trillion dollars. So we're talking about a lot, a lot of money. And it looks like about a half, maybe 40%, will actually go to bridges and to roads and to airports. And the rest will be boondoggle central. It'll go to this project and that project. It'll go to uh, more money will be thrown at renewables, meaning uh, renewable energy, meaning uh, windmills and uh, and. Um, Uh, solar panels, there will be uh, charging stations for your Tesla. Oh, you don't have a Tesla? Neither do I. But they'll be going across the country. So we have about a trillion dollar bill that was passed with 13 Republicans voting yes on it. Now, it also had, I think, uh, something like 19 uh, Republican senators voting when it went through the Senate. What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, As I told you before, follow the money. If you use money as your filter, especially with the swamp, you can figure out what's going on. So Adam Kinzinger, he's not running for re-election, but he wants to have a future in politics, probably in Illinois, other places maybe. There's money in this bill, I'm sure, that he's going to claim that he was a part of. Each of these members, the 13 members, Republicans, many of them that are running for re-election, a guy named Van Drew, I think it's his last name, up in New Jersey, he went home and said, there's going to be the money for this bridge and that bridge and the other thing. The promise, and about $100 billion will be discretionary money doled out by the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. So you got to stay in good with the administration if you want the goodies. Now, here's where it gets really fun and interesting. I mean, it's terrible for the country, this spending. But, you know, the 
Uh, and, and let me pause. This is a redo of the Obama bailout. One of the, remember the Obama did a stimulus back in the bailout era right away? And it was, I think, $800, mil, uh, $800 billion, somewhere around that. And the money ended up, it, people were like, what did you spend the money on? Because it didn't go to shovel-ready jobs. Remember that line? It was supposed to go to shovel-ready jobs. Just like this bill is supposed to go to infrastructure. Neither one is what they said. We don't even know a lot of what's in these bills, this bill now. But here's what we do know. We do know at this point that they had to get it through. And the progress, so-called progressives in the House, AOC and the gang, they couldn't look like they were voting for something. They couldn't vote for something and look like they were rolled by their own party. So what did they do? They hung back and waited until it was clear that Pelosi had 13 uh, Republicans and then six of the liberal Democrats voted against the bill. In other words, they made sure they got the money flowing and they could look like they were grandstanding against it. Now, this happened a few months ago when there was a $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion added, I think it was to one of the COVID relief bills, that was $2 billion going to the Capitol Police for them to set up, remember the satellite campuses? They're going to have a satellite in Florida and a satellite in L.A. They're going to have a $2 billion in their police force at the Capitol. And AOC, who has been a defund the police person, couldn't vote for the bill. But if she voted against it, it would have sunk. So what did she do? She and a couple others voted present. And when you vote present, it basically means you don't count towards the total. So you can have, you don't, it doesn't count as a no vote. That's what they did. And my point here is, up in the swamp, nothing is as it seems. They do one set of things for public consumption, and the rest is going on behind closed doors. And in this case, at this moment in our history, the power of the federal government is so massive that they play the, 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 the game with the public, and they play it so well, meaning the artfully, because there's so much money at stake. There's literally hundreds of billions of dollars of picking winners and losers. In Missouri, which I'm most familiar with, back in 2010, after the 2009 stimulus passed, there was $109 million that were going to windmills, windmill farms, that the Carnahan family had a piece of the action in. And here's how this jive works. Remember, this is a, this whole racket, you know, the Eric Hoffer quote I quote to you all the time is, uh, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. This great racket that we're seeing happen in this country is the use of government and our tax dollars to pick winners and losers. To pick winners and losers. And so in this case, watch what happens on the, on the, uh, all the spending on renewables and all. Back in 2009, 2010, they spent tens of billions of dollars, $100 billion in Missouri on, on uh, uh, windmills. And then what happened is then the same leftists went in and they demanded that the local um, uh, power companies buy a certain amount of renewable fuel so that they could look like they're being green. And so you get the money coming and going. You get federal dollars to set up a windmill farm. Then you force the uh, Ameren UE, in this case, the, uh, the electric company, to buy from you that your electricity that you create. And then eventually you just sell the company. So that's what everybody's doing. That's the racket that's going on. Winners and losers. And here's the thing. I'm glad when I say this, I'll tell you I'm glad about it. But conservatives, when they get power, they don't think, 
How do we pass an infrastructure bill that's basically handing out goodies to our people? Because if, if, if Donald Trump had won for president in 2017 and turned to Speaker Paul Ryan and turned to pre, uh, pre, head of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, Senate President Mitch McConnell, and said, guys, let's do an infrastructure bill. Let's do a couple hundred billion dollars for the airports and the roads and bridges. And then let's do another seven or eight hundred billion dollars. And let's just give some money to every gun range. And, and every uh, crisis pregnancy center and every um, uh, every um, uh, conservative group we can think of, the Boy Scouts or, uh, you know, pick a top. We could give spread our money around, give lots of jobs to everybody, give money to Hillsdale. They don't take federal money, but you get my point. And we don't do that. Conservatives don't like to do that. We don't think that's the thing to do, which I respect. But we get our lunch handed to us. When the other side does it and man alive, they're doing it and they're doing it with the aid of 13 Republicans who went along with it. And that's the real among many things. That's one of the shames that's happening in this case was that the 13 Republicans went along with it. And I have to say, I mentioned at the beginning of this, that the NRSCC had an event tonight uh, earlier tonight. And it's Donald Trump is the speaker. The NRCC is the National Republican Congressional Committee. That's the group that runs uh, candidates, helps candidates run for office. They have a lot of sway because they got a lot of money. And that group, there ought to be a real soul searching. If you can't hold your caucus together in the minority to stop the boondoggle, to stop the Biden, you know, uh, uh, behemoth, what are you going to do when you got power? What do you, I mean, I know the answer is, oh, when people are in the minority, there's nothing they can get. They have no way to succeed. They have no way to impact what's going on. They got to take what little they can. But I got to say, Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, that's the majority of the minority leader and the whip. I think they got to answer some questions on this, don't they? Doesn't feel like it worked out very well, does it? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, that's what we got there. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk with our friend Melanie Kirkpatrick about Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Day and the history. It goes all the way back to George Washington. And we'll also get an update on the Second Amendment. And I will get an update for you more specifically on the Second Amendment Protection Act, uh, SAPA, which were, there's a 60-minute hit piece last uh, just two nights ago. Uh, we will cover that. I've got some good friends in Missouri that worked on that. So we'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Excuse me. Be right back. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the Daily email there and also sign up uh, excuse me and go uh, check on all these interviews we're doing these segments there be right back Ed Martin Pro America Report back in a moment welcome back Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report about a week ago I thought to myself we need to catch up with Terry Beatley Terry Beatley is the founder of an extraordinary organization, um, the history of which we could spend like a whole show talking about. It's called the Hosea Initiative, and it focuses on the fact that the one of the leading abortionists ever, a man named Dr. Bernard Nathanson, uh, repented and changed his mind on abortion. And she, uh, uh, Terry Beatley and he became friends, or I guess they like, become acquainted, and she did a long talk with him, and she... Um, made it her project to go out and tell people the importance of how someone who was an abortionist could change his mind. And she's been an extraordinary leader and she's uh, the author of what if we've been wrong, keeping my promise to America's abortion King. Uh, and uh, welcome Terry. How are you? Hey, and glad to be back on. 
Glad to be here. Well, so it's good to be back. It's good to be have you on. And, and in the weird way, the the Trump years were years where we made progress on life. We had a, a chief executive who was uh, of the United States who was pro life, so that felt good. In a funny way, suddenly it was over, and we're in this swamp of of pro abortion stuff. Yet we have some good judges and all, but it feels to me like uh, Terry that the that the grassroots of the country doesn't quite know what to make of it now. Do you feel that? Um, yes, and that's also why I think the relevancy of of making the promise I made to Dr. Bernard Nathanson widely known is also so relevant. Um, and it's because if middle America, who knows abortion is wrong, but they don't quite know what to do with all this, how could we ever return to becoming a pro-life country again? The answer, in my opinion, lies in making Dr. Bernard Nathanson's legacy widely known, because if the father of America's industry of abortion can do a 180-degree turn and become pro-life as an atheist, mind you, right. then what, what else can America do? We need the legacy of Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who co-founded NARAL, who trained Planned Parenthood doctors, and then he became pro-life, and later on, he became a Christian, and he, he his message is spot on today. Well, and so, you know, we're talking with Terry Beatley, and again, I'll put up on social media her uh, organization's website, HoseaForYou.org, the Hosea Initiative. Lots of people, when you do the polling now, lots of young people and others have seen the science of uh, right. life in the womb, and they're, and they're more pro-life. But... I'm not sure it's translated. There's a whole bunch of people that sort of are immune to it. And they say, well, you know, but I don't want to tell somebody else what to do. I don't, I don't want to uh, impose. I, you know, it's, 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 this is for somebody else. Uh, Dr. Nathanson did, I don't know, tens of thousands of abortions. What did, what was the moment? How did he, how did he change? Because my wife will often tell me, with 50 million people that have had an abortion or been a part of an abortion, you can't go up to them and say it's murder. It's hard for people to take that news, right? You can't just, you can't go from believing you did something, even if you didn't love it or feel good about it, and now it's murder. So you've got to sort of change hearts and minds. How did Nathanson right. pivot? What was his moment? And, and what does it right, teach well, people? Well, from, from the beginning, when he set out uh, with his partner, Lawrence Later, where they collaborated in... Um, uh, organizing the first pro-abortion political action organization called, today it's called NARAL, Pro-Choice America. He admitted later on that, that from the very beginning, they denied what they knew to be true, that abortion kills a human life. So I think that's the first step, is that the lies of yesteryear that you and I know it, and most people know it, you know, they would say, oh, it's just a blob of tissue, um, they can't get away with that anymore because of what real-time ultrasound revealed. So, and again, it's why his story is so relevant. So he was denying what he knew to be true, that abortion kills a human being. But in the beginning, he had never seen uh, a baby on real-time ultrasound. He had only seen the, the, uh, uh, the real grainy photographs of an ultrasound. So the irony of all this is the year we got Roe v. Wade in January of 73, Nathanson celebrated Roe v. Wade in January. However, about six months later, the hospital he was working at as chief of obstetrics rolled in a brand new technology. And for the very first time, and this was new to me when I sat with him 
I was thinking he had never seen a baby. So no, he'd seen the pictures. But for the first time, he saw the baby on real-time ultrasound. And so wow. he already knew it was a baby, but it was the, he was right. an atheist. And so, and, and so that's the other key part, Ed, that plays into this, because Joe Biden, Joe Biden, he's all that, let's follow the science. Follow this. Well, all right, Joe Biden, let me walk you right down the road through science with Dr. Bernard Nathanson. So if we go with what the president of the United States is saying, follow the science, well, then we need to follow the science like Dr. Nathanson, because the science of real-time ultrasound made that man 110% pro-life. Yeah, it is. Um, that's what Phyllis used to say was the ultrasound and then 3D ultrasounds. Um, yeah. and of course, the heartbeat bill, a lot of the heartbeat bills, people, when they you can hear a heartbeat and you can see a heartbeat, you're like, wait a second. That's something more than just tissue. Uh, but yeah. back, we're talking with Terry Beatley again. Her, her organization is Hosea4U.org and Hosea, the number for uh, U.org. Um, yet. How do you how do you find um, one of the one of the tricks that the media has done is they make it so if you talk about abortion, you're you're sort of shutting down the conversation. Everybody's oh, and everybody's in a camp. How do we break through that? We break through it with the power of truth and the power of love. And so what we say at Jose Hmm. Initiative, no matter how ugly the truth is, we're going to love other people with the truth. And what we have found is that um, people are doing a 180-degree turn, and they're also repenting. You know, if they're even just mildly a Christian, they're repenting for their apathy, for their willful ignorance, and or for their participation with abortion, which could be they got an abortion themselves, or they pushed a girlfriend or a wife into getting an abortion, or they've been supporting pro-abortion candidates. The power of Nathanson's legacy, because here's the key thing, and you and I, as Catholics, we fully understand this, and we pray that the rest of America can as well. Dr. Bernard Nathanson's legacy introduces every American into what it looks like to be humble, to admit that you've had something wrong, and that Mm. you're willing to receive God's divine mercy Because even the father of America's industry of abortion could not run fast enough away from the hand of God, who was drawing Dr. Nathanson to the Lord. So there's your answer. Nathanson's legacy leads people to the foot of the cross to understand what humility looks like. I mean, we're, we're told every day. Ten times a day that we're supposed to be prideful, right? You know, pride parades right. and pride this and pride. <laughs> no, we're supposed to be humble. So if the father of America's industry of abortion, who was responsible for the death of 75,000 babies and for deceiving wow. the United States Supreme Court, if he can be humble, if he can be humble and admit that he had it wrong, then why can't all of us? Why can't everybody Mm -hmm. just learn the story and be humble enough to say, you know what? I had to. I was never pro-abortion, Ed, but I was also very apathetic. I knew I would never get an abortion. But when I was 38, 39 years old, when I started reading up on all this, I had to repent for my apathy and my willful ignorance. I knew Mm. I'd never have an abortion myself, but I realized, my God, as I've sat on the sidelines while millions of babies were obliterated, 
um, my apathy and my ignorance just were, were, were I, I was yeah. convicted. So. It's amazing. It's amazing. Terry Beatley, you have such a gift uh, given to you uh, for this. Hosea4u.org. Uh, there's the book. What if, we've, what if we've been wrong? There's a curriculum there. There's some pamphlets. It's a great, it's a great way to uh, what, what Terry just did in this few minutes together, give you a sense of how to think about this to make progress. So, uh, Terry, thank you for what you're doing. We it's so great to hear from you. We'll have you back again soon. God bless your good work. And again, I'll put it up on social media. Thank you. All right, great. Thank you, Ed. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I was mentioning to you that uh, I was, um, uh, we're going to talk about it later on in the show, and then I'm going to try to get a guest on later this week from Missouri, where there is a, the 60 Minutes came into town and did a hit job on a new law passed uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Well, there's one guy who can deconstruct what is happening uh, when 60 Minutes drops in or anybody else drops in, because they like to come in and use anecdotal evidence. They like to say a few things. Well, Dr. John Lott, who is a Ph.D. in economics, which means he knows how things work, uh, is with us right now. He's got a new piece out uh, about concealed carry permit holders across the United States. First of all, welcome, Dr. Lott. How are you, sir? Uh, it's great to talk to you again. So, um, first of all, tell me about this. When, when Did you happen to see that 60 Minutes piece the other night uh, uh, about uh, Missouri's laws? Uh, to be honest, I haven't looked at it. I mean, it was last it was Sunday night. Uh, yeah. I mean, I got the gist of it. Um, they're complaining that the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which says that any new federal laws uh, or regulations won't be uh, and can't be enforced by state or local uh, law enforcement officials right. there. Right. You know, right. I, mean, I guess it depends whether you think the types of laws that are being pushed forward are going to be useful or not by the Biden administration. Yeah. I guess my concern is that the types of rules that they're pushing are going to make it more costly for law-abiding citizens to be able to go and get guns to defend themselves, particularly raising the costs and making it more difficult for law-abiding citizens to get guns. And, you know, but the thing is, uh, Missouri can only do so much because, uh, you know, I, I'll give you one example. One of the things that Biden is pushing uh, is this so-called zero tolerance policy for uh, licensed gun dealers. Uh, you know, Biden right. praises it as, uh, you know, uh, gun store owners selling guns out of the back of the store to criminals. That's not what's going on with the zero tolerance. They're talking about any little tiny paperwork mistake that you have made over the last 10 years or 15 years or whatever, uh, you know, accidentally in one form uh, writing the city name in the county box or something like that. Right. Something that's completely uh, irrelevant to enforcing gun control laws. Uh, they'll be out of business. Uh, you know, you talk to any any gun dealer and the notion that somehow somebody can't find some tiny thing that they're going to claim as a paperwork mistake in the thousands of forms that you may have over many, many years uh, is just silly. And there, But the thing is, 
That has really nothing to do with local law enforcement, state or local. Uh, that Those types of rules are enforced by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which Biden right. controls. And, uh, yeah, and, and, right. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you a different part of that question. We're talking with uh, Dr. John Lott, and he is also the founder and the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. If you go to uh, crimeresearch.org, there's a lot there. We'll talk about a, uh, um, a study he's got out now. But I want to ask you about the media. The media, when it drops in and decides to do a story like that, 60 Minutes, I was trying to tell somebody, if 60 Minutes says X is true, you can, at this point in our history, you can bet your bottom dollar that X is at least misleading, if not an out-and-out lie. And I would say your experience of the media's treatment of, of things that you actually analyze and write about would be exactly the same way. They, they write about things, and it's just it's like you know white is black and black is white. Well, look, I mean... Uh, kind of journalist ethics used to be things like uh, you'd have people on both sides of an issue for a story. Very right. unpacked. I mean, I don't know how many times you can read articles from New York Times or Washington Post or on CBS, and they just interview people only on one side of the issue there. Um, right. It's just not. Uh, it's just not a serious uh, attempt to do what the old journalist ethics are. It's now trying to push an agenda, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I think Americans are going to be worse for that. Uh, people aren't well informed, um, you know, and it's going to cost lives. Uh, yeah, I give you one example of how I think they kind of do think I think they're responsible for a lot of the riots this last year. I mean, there are a lot of people out there, unfortunately, who honestly believe that white police officers are targeting black suspects to kill them. I mean, as bizarre as it is to me that they believe it, they do. We did a study a little while ago uh, that looked at uh, officers' shootings, and what you find is that white officers uh, shoot uh, black suspects at virtually the same rate, even if slightly lower than the rate that black officers shoot black suspects. But the thing is, when the media covers it, when a white officer shoots a black suspect, the media virtually always seems to mention the race of both the officer and the suspect. When a black officer shoots a black suspect, the media only mentions the the race of the suspect who was shot. And when a black officer shoots a white suspect, uh, the race of neither of them is mentioned. And, you know, so what happens is, is that people, when they hear shooting, they think, well, okay, it's a black, a white officer shooting a black suspect. And I think they kind of fill in the blanks then in the cases where the race isn't mentioned. And I think it creates a real misimpression on people's parts about what's happening. I mean, if you think that all the shootings involving, uh, you know, suspects are black suspects and they're being shot by white officers, I, I don't blame people for having the type of reactions that they do. But it has a real impact on people's perceptions, and you know it's not just uh, it's not just uh, police shootings, uh, and it's not just the news media. But you know, take something right. like um, 
uh, defensive gun uses. We did a report, uh, you can find it at crimeresearch.org, where uh, we looked at the news stories across the country on, on defensive gun uses. If you look at uh, the five largest newspapers in the United States, um, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, uh, the Washington Post, uh, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journal, between those five outlets, there was a total of 10 defensive gun uses. Some of them were the same story across the different ones. And uh, uh, they tended to pit defensive gun uses where something went wrong. Uh, overall, if you look at the media, there's about a thousand defensive gun uses through the beginning of August this year. And uh, just to give you an idea, what is a lot of these coverages are in small local media markets, not the major ones, even though the vast majority of crime and the vast majority of defensive gun uses occurs in the bigger urban areas because that's where the crime is. So that's where people end up right. using guns defensively. But um, people need to understand well, me, that yeah. what makes something newsworthy is not what reflects reality at the time. Right. Dr. John Lott, we're talking to, and again, he... He mentioned his uh, he mentioned his website crimeresearch.org. I want to before I run out of time. I want to ask you about this study that you just did. Um, it just came out two weeks ago or so. You and uh, uh, Rujun Wang Wang, um, and it found an unbelievable increase in concealed carry permits. Ten uh, percent more, a ten point five percent increase over last year. Forty eight percent since twenty sixteen. To what do you attribute that to? The, the short term one, the one over last year. What is do you, is that the pandemic? People have more time and what is it you think in your estimation well i think the big that over two million increase now we have 21 and a half million permit holders and people need to realize that increase occurred despite the fact that now we have 21 constitutional carry states where you don't even need to have a permit to be able to go and carry but uh right uh, you know, it's the same reasons why pe- gun purchases have gone up last year and this year. Uh, you, you know, you have inmates being released from jails and prisons across the country. You have, in many areas, over half the inmates have been released, many of them violent criminals. Police being ordered to stand down, police budgets being cut. Uh, you know, New York City cut its police budget by a billion dollars. And you have uh, prosecutors, many George Soros-type prosecutors, refusing to prosecute violent criminals. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, you had a case in Chicago where two drug gangs were fighting against each other over drug turf in broad daylight. Uh, right. One person was killed. Several people were seriously wounded. Uh, they caught it all on video, and police were present there to watch the shooting. And yet the... Uh, Tim Fox, the county district attorney, refused to prosecute them. Their initial explanation was, well, it was a voluntary fight between two groups. So they didn't see any reason. Of course, they changed the story later on to say they didn't have sufficient evidence. But even uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot, the very liberal mayor of Chicago, uh, you know, found that just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, she was basically saying, how much more evidence can you possibly have uh, right, to go right. with somebody other than having police being there watching it and having it on video? 
So I mean, yeah. it is. It is. It is amazing. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, John, uh, Dr. John Lott, I have to go. I run, I'm out of time, but I, I will make sure to put these up on social media, and we'll have you back again. We could talk more. I got us off that study, but thank you for your time. Again, the website is crimeresearch.org, and the piece I'll post up on social media is about concealed carry increase. We got to take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Joe Biden's open border policy resulted in 14,000 illegals camped under the international bridge connecting Texas to Mexico. And there's no COVID testing for illegals without severe symptoms, while law-abiding American citizens are subjected to dehumanizing weekly testing as punishment for declining the experimental COVID vaccine. These hordes of illegals are supposed to remain in Mexico, while their applications for admissions are considered under a wise policy established by President Trump and reaffirmed by a 6-3 vote of the U.S. Supreme Court. Yet the Biden administration is determined to use an unending war of lawfare to delay enforcement of legitimate Trump policies as long as possible. Biden's abuse of the court system is yet another reason why the Biden administration lacks the credibility to govern with the confidence of the American people. The reported numbers of illegals are daunting. They include 20,000 Haitians who recently crossed at Del Rio, 100,000 Afghans whose resettlement Nancy Pelosi funded with $6.3 billion and more than one million illegals who have surged across the southern border since Biden occupied the White House. These numbers can change election outcomes, which seems to be exactly what the Democrats want. Many of the refugees are being settled in battleground states, where the margin of difference in a pivotal election can be merely a few thousand votes. Yet Biden is trying to distract the American people by waging a war against his own border patrol after photos were released showing agents on horseback rounding up illegals. By vowing to punish Border Patrol agents who protect us against foreign intruders, Biden sends exactly the wrong message, that every other law enforcement officer should stand down. Why would any official risk his own job and perhaps even his freedom if Biden is going to prosecute them afterwards for enforcing the law? Yet Biden doesn't seem to care about being a good leader for federal employees or for the American people. His commitment to manufactured crises rather than the real threats to our national sovereignty makes clear that his leadership is shrouded in political deception. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the latest on building the wall to protect our southern border? To the liberal media, it's a joke. But the crisis of illegal aliens is no laughing matter. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're asking serious questions regarding what to build, who's paying for it, and how best to deploy our military. Go to phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We've got some work to do today. We've got to figure out a little Second Amendment issue, and I'll do that with you in a moment uh, because it's coming out of Missouri. And so I think I'll have Ron Calzone on my radio show. Uh, Ron Calzone is a fascinating man. He is a, well, he's a husband and a father. He's got a lovely family. He's a small business owner. He built his uh, small business he, in, in manufacturing. He's also a rancher. 
And he loves the Constitution so much so that he fights for the Constitution all the time. And especially in Missouri, in the um, state legislature and in the state government. He's just an amazing character, a really good guy. Well, he helped engineer over the last few years something that is called the uh, Second Amendment Protection Act. And I will tell you that Ron has worked on this for years. Excuse me, Second Amendment Preservation Act. I misspoke. He's worked on this for years. And um, he is um, fearless about it. And he's so fearless that sometimes conservatives who like to be in control and may not like the Constitution get mad at him. Well, here's where it gets interesting. He uh, pa- helped pass the self, excuse me, the he's helped pass the Second Amendment Preservation Act. I mean, he's not in the legislature, but he helped recruit people. It went on for years. It passed. 60 minutes, 60 minutes, the CBS News magazine, they say, ran a segment last night. I've watched it. It's a total hit piece. And and what they did is classic move, though. They went out to a rural county and they got a prosecutor and they got a couple others who said, hey, we're gun guys. We're, we're gun guys. We, 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 we like the Second Amendment, but we don't like this because and then they go in this fear mongering thing that somehow that law enforcement is going to be crippled from enforcing gun laws. Just not true. But here's the line that in an email that uh, Ron sent me, which is so perfect. He said, the Rolla police chief, Rolla is a city in Missouri. I don't know that Rolla is particularly uh, conservative. The area around Rolla is, but it's a city. And, you know, a lot of times the cities, uh, any city of any size gets more liberal. But even more importantly, anytime you get a police chief, uh, which is who's quoted here, Rolla police chief, Sean Fagan, police chiefs like their power. It's like a few years ago, there was a movement where the federal government was given tanks to police departments. And you'd say, why does a police department need, department need a tank? And they would say, well, uh, we're going to use it when we need to use it. No, no, you should say no to that. You should say no to more power. That's one of the things we need. Anyway, Rolla Police Chief Sean Fagan on 60 Minutes said there are, quote, many things in this bill that are putting handcuffs on us. It's terrible, end quote. And Ron Calzone writes, of course, the whole Constitution, including the Second Amendment, is designed to handcuff government. The point is, we're supposed to have our rights and the Constitution is supposed to keep our rights protected. I don't know if it means to handcuff, certainly meant to limit the power of government. That's exactly what the Second Amendment Preservation Act should do. But here's the thing, you run 60 minutes uh, on national TV across the country and you're a Missouri state senator, and there's one guy, State Senator J- Justin Brown, who is so um, uh, upset by this complaint. He's getting ready to try to gut the bill, try to gut the Second Amendment. Here's what you need to know, everybody. If you're a Republican conservative, forget a Republican, doesn't matter. If you're a conservative, most of them are Republicans these days, but a lot of Republicans aren't conservative. But if you're a conservative, it could be a Democrat. If you see 60 Minutes writing a negative story about your about your state, you can rest assured they're at least misleading you, if not out and out lying. At this point, we can say that, can't we? There's not. It's not like it's up for grabs. We just saw the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax exposed as totally fabricated by political operatives for Hillary, and then uh, uh, Russia. Uh, excuse me, a uh, British uh, spy, and then the FBI used it against the country for four years. And, and the FISA courts were abused, and and Mueller's investigation was a waste of time, and Congress guys like Adam Schiff. So, hey, Senator Brown, if 
If 60 Minutes comes to your town, your state, your district, and says X is true, you should say to yourself, hmm, X is almost certainly not true. X is almost certainly not true. And, you know, more importantly, the, uh, the great thing is that you, you hear, watch this, and I, I told you at the beginning of the program, Ron makes the point. You want to know why everybody's getting nervous? Remember, put on your money glasses, put on your green tinted glasses, because if you follow the money, you'll find out why. In this case, federal money that goes to local law enforcement, federal money that comes to the states, they don't have to make you do it because they pass a law in Congress signed by the president. They can just have the bureaucrats that control the jack, Jack, control the green backs, Jack. They can hold the money up. And jerk your chain. And you know what's going to really be tough? If you're a state senator and someone says, oh, you got millions of dollars coming. By the way, that whole corollary here is this stupid, wasteful, quote unquote, infrastructure bill. Less than a third of it is going to go to actual roads and bridges and airports. It's the same kind of thing. Money moves. Money moves people very, very well. It moves them really well. It gets them moving in the direction that they are needed to be moved by the powers that be. And that's what you got to watch. So I'm going to try to get, I will try to get uh, my old friend Ron Calzone on the show to get some more details on this. But watch it, watch it, 60 Minutes. And it was, what's her name? It's the it's the main host uh, of, of 60 Minutes, the one that she's over on, um, she does their uh, their their nightly news. You know, they have they, nowadays they have 60 Minutes, they rotate through a whole bunch of um hosts and they and they make sure remember i think for a minute they i think they actually still have anderson cooper is able to do uh uh is able to do 60 minutes some of the time even though he's on cnn and so they have all these different folks and that and she's over there and, and she's with a straight face oh it's so dramatic she, like as if she's on the side of the missourians yeah not leslie Stahl. someone is just texting me i can't remember i'm, I'm embarrassed to admit uh, the name of the woman, uh, Campbell, I thought her last name was. But anyway, you get the point. All right, we got to take a we got to run. We got to run. Thank you to our great uh, producer, Noah Dingley, and also to Joanna Spilger for booking our guests. We will be back tomorrow. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com to find out more and come back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>